So good morning to you, and it's uh, good to share in your gatherings again here in Hamilton, and we ask God's richest blessing in the, the future as you begin to uh, find a way of fellowshipping with one another more directly and carry out the ministries that God has given to us. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 25. You will know that it's in the series that you're following on the fruit of the Spirit. And this passage is given to me to deal with the theme of kindness this morning. So let's read together from Matthew 25, verse 31. The words will be on the screen, so you can see them there too. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Old age is catching up with me, so I keep some notes just in case the memory goes, but um, out of practice a wee bit in preaching too, so I hope the voice will still sound not as bad as it could be. Kindness is the fruit of the Spirit, uh, part of that whole uh, beautiful fruit and this segment is worthy of our attention. 
When I was a child, our minister, Frank Johnson, used to give an annual series of children's talk. It was the exact same one every year. He did it using a concertina. He didn't play it, but instead making up a word with letters in a concertina form, he put it on his concertina and opened it up for us all to see. And he, he didn't do small things with his uh, children's talk. It was words like sanctification and justification and glorification and various otherifications that he found in the Bible. I don't think I understood very much of it in my early childhood, but I did grasp something. These words were important words. And I've been given today what might seem an easier word, kindness. A segment of the fruit of the Spirit, a word even little children can grasp. A children's song, Jesus' hands were kind hands, and kids know what that means. But perhaps kindness should be on a concertina. It's an expansive word. I, if I had a concertina or even skill in art, I might have made a big word and opened it up just for us to see it over and over again. In the Greek language of the New Testament, which comes uh, and related to the Aramaic in which Jesus would speak, the word that is used carries a variety of ideas. Sometimes it's translated even in uh, the Fruit of the Spirit passage in Galatians as gentleness or goodness. There's a, there's a warmth to it. Goodness is often actually another word, and it's in the fruit of the Spirit, as you will find. But it's like goodness operating in action with warmth and a, a magnanimous spirit, a benevolence that pours itself out gladly and readily to bless other people's lives. The Hebrew equivalent would be hesed, a, a word that's translated loving kindness. It's richer than the Greek word because it, it takes itself into the covenant of God and his love is loyal to us. Kindness is a big, expansive word. Let me say tongue-in-cheek, that those who chose the passage for today have been anything but kind to this poor preacher. This passage is not about kindness, first and foremost, but about judgment. But in a sense, the darkness of that judgment, that discerning of who we are and where we stand before the King of Kings, highlights in a most wonderful way kindness. It doesn't use the word kindness at all, but it shows us what kindness does. It acts. Kindness is not simply an attitude within and a, a feeling we might have, kind of pity we feel for various things we see in the news and then forget about it ten minutes later. It's not worth a button, that kind of pity. And kindness refuses just to keep it to itself. It must do something. It must act. 
So in these acts of compassion and mercy that we see listed before us in these beautiful phrases that we can't forget, so people are often quoted, even people who who are not Christians speak about the least of the, the brethren or whatever they might say. The passage itself comes at the end of a climax of parables dealing about the Lord's return and how we should act meantime. It's an act of discernment, this judgment. Who are the faithful? It's also an act of division, for that's what judgment does, isn't it? It discerns between one thing and another. Biblical judgment involves a discernment, but where we stand as human beings before the King of Kings. And this, applied to God's people, questions also where we stand. Are we into religious ritual, or are we into the reality of religion? Religion sometimes pushed aside completely nowadays. It's relationship, not religion. But James says religion is to do good to the widow and those who need your help. There is a proper religion that flows from a right relationship with God, a justificated and sanctified people, according to my minister's concertina. And so we see here that kindness is very significant to our Christian lives because right in the heart of this passage stands the acts and deeds of kindness that people did or did not do. Some people call kindness love in the little things, and that's true. Kindness is full of little actions. Some people say it doesn't cost much, and that's true. You can be kind in a million ways without actually ever spending very much money on it. But think of the kindness of God. His kindness is a love in big things and very costly too. Paul writes of Titus, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared to us, Andrew read this earlier, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Spirit. This is no easy passage to interpret. 2,000 years have passed since Jesus first spoke it, and people have all sorts of interpretations of who it is that's involved, what the application should be. Some people even see it as a prediction of what would happen when Christ had ascended to heaven, the gospel was going out, and ultimately um, Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans, and it's a warning about that. Who, Who knows? But in case you're an expert in parables and unkindly dogmatic and self righteous about your interpretation, confession, I'm not quite sure what this parable means. Who are the nations? Probably just Gentiles. Who are goats and who are sheep? Who's the identification of the least, the little ones? When does such judgment take place? It's a whole set of actions. So to try and help us this morning, here is how I'm going to do it. Ask a few questions. 
Because right in the heart of this, there's a judgment and a discernment between the sheep and the goats. And one set, the sheep, are blessed of the Father and enter their inheritance. And the other, the goats, are cast out. There is a question here. Is this teaching salvation by works? And on the face of it, it seems so. The goats didn't minister to those in need. The sheep did. And on that ground, their different futures are determined. But remember, it's Jesus who is just about to die and give his life a ransom for many who's telling us this story and this application of all the parables before. And the story is in a gospel that's designed to communicate the news of Jesus Christ with a call to repent and believe. Our good, good deeds are never the basis or foundation of our salvation, but they are the evidence of faith. If it's the fruit of the Spirit, then the fruit tells us the Spirit is operating in our lives, that we belong to God, to Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said that you know a tree by its fruit. And James put it sharply, faith without works is dead. God's kindness do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness we show to him? Our salvation flows from the kindness of God to us. This is a big word, kindness, because it's associated with God saving us. And in Ephesians, we read the exceeding Kindness, the riches of his grace is shown in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. And if that is true, this cannot be works salvation. Instead, evidence that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. The kindness we show and works of compassion and mercy are the fruit of life in Christ, fruit of the Spirit, evidence that we belong to him. Sadly, sadly, as pastor, I've met people who in Christian churches have been there all their lives, and you never hear a kind word or see a kind action flowing from them, sheep or goat. Who are the little ones? We often quote this passage as if it was the food bank principle, Christian church should help the whole world and so on. And the New Testament does say we have care for the world around. Of course, we should show that love everywhere we go and that kindness. But this is something different. This is ministry to the little ones, the brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are those who belong to the king. And here is the, the trick. How we treat the little ones is how we treat the king. 
Now, there's a big debate about what that means. Is it the situations are very extreme, some of them? And it seems it may be implying the persecution of his disciples, like missionaries or pastors and so on, and Christian churches facing hostilities in their ministries. Epaphroditus comes from Philippi, risking his life and nearly died in order to do a kind act for Paul in the prison in Rome. Perfect example. But I think that's too narrow. In every Christian church, there are little ones, some of them suffering in all these kind of ways, but others suffering perhaps the distress of mental health, some so lonely, some awkward in their personality and difficult to get near. Some, as one man in Newton Merns once was, described as smelling to high heaven, which to my mind gave his smell a delight because God loves an odor that comes up. And when he sang from all his heart, he sang to high heaven just as well as he smelled. I didn't mind it too much because I don't have a good sense of smell. Um, so flowers and stuff pass me by. Don't buy me any if you don't want to. And certainly we're called to care for the suffering church. But very directly, who are the little ones that we might neglect? You did it unto me. What is the significance of these words? I think it elevates kindness to the heights of God's throne. Here's the, here's the formula. Serve Christ's little ones with kindness, and you serve the king. Isn't that just so wonderful? Treat Christ's followers badly, you treat Christ badly. An old Middle English title for Jesus was Our Kind Lord. K-I-N-D-E, they spelt it. But the word there means he is our kindred. Kindness and kinship are very close to each other. So close that Jesus identifies himself with you and me as a brother. Brother to you and me. Did he not really say that whatever happens to us as God's people happens to him? When Paul was encountered on the Damascus Road, what did Jesus say? Not so much that you're persecuting the Christian people, but you're persecuting me. Whatever the complexities of interpreting this passage, one thing is clear. Our kind acts of compassionate mercy towards the little ones of the Lord are received by the Lord himself. Kindness gets a high rating. So what about the sheep and the goats? You'll be wondering now which one you are, and I'm not going to tell you. First notice that they're separated. In the Middle East, goats and sheep often pasture together, each working different ground. Sheep nibble grass, goats eat everything and anything. At the end of the day, the goats would be called away, separated from the sheep. 
Jesus is working that way. So here's the basis of the separation, goat and sheep, one who ministers to the little ones, one who doesn't. And the basis of this separation totally surprises both goats and sheep. The act of it doesn't, but each is surprised. This is the thing I find so amazing about kindness. If you're a kind person, it just happens all the time. The sheep are called blessed because the Father is kind, merciful, and compassionate. We read it for ourselves. They're totally astonished. When did we see you? And he said, when you did it to them or when you didn't do it to them. When did you do it to the least of these, his brethren? That's the question that it asks of us. Maybe you write letters to um, pastors or churches in prison because of persecution. Maybe you support open doors. Maybe you always spot the lonely and the left out members and friends of HBC. One thing I do know is the Lord Jesus Christ takes joy in that kindness. He pronounces the blessing of the Father and we hardly know we've done it. The opposite, of course, is true for the goats. Their sins of omission are exposed. Do you, do you hear that? We make a great hue and cry about some public sins, but here is one that Jesus picks on. Omission. Omission. Not doing kindness. It's a terrible warning to us. And also a reminder of how wonderful it is to be kind. Amy Carmichael in her poem about Calvary Love says, If I can write an unkind letter, speak an unkind word, think an unkind thought without grief or shame, then I know nothing of Calvary Love. Remember one of our um, leaders of the Baptist Union um, showing me a letter that had been sent to him that would have put some of the, the modern stuff on Twitter and so on uh, into uh, almost nothing at all compared to what was said by a supposed Christian in that letter. I remember a church where I used to share in mission and discovering what the pastor heard from the people. It was outrageous what they were saying. Even if some of their issues were true, how they dealt with it was more important to Christ than what they were dealing with. Kindness is not only beautiful, it's powerful. It's healing. So the fruit of the Spirit is a deeper kindness during lockdown, lots of people have been into random acts of kindness. Have you noticed that? The TV's full of kindness that's been shown, and I don't despise it at all. But you need to know that 
random acts of kindness in the Karma army came into being by accident by a Scottish Dundonian journalist who was bored and put out a wee notice to say, meet me. And people did. And when they arrived, he didn't know what to do. Why were they meeting him? So they invented this acts of random kindness. Let me suggest, if you're a fruit of the Spirit-filled person, you will never do a random act of kindness. Did you know that? It may seem random to those who experience it, because kindness is in short supply. The reason people did random acts of kindness is because there's so little of it. And it's come into the, the public square. It's, you hear prime ministers and first ministers talking about kindness. This is astonishing. But we already know what it means. We already should be of that nature. If the Spirit indwells in our heart and mind, then kindness shines from our eyes. It flows from our lips. It's expressed in our good deeds, small or large, costing little or much. Lady Macbeth complained that her husband had too much of the milk of human kindness. Well, you can never have too much of the fruit of the Spirit. If you are kind through and through, if it's in your bloodstream, everything you think, say and do will be kind. Do it to the body of Christ and then let it flow out to the world around. There's nothing wrong with being kind outside in the world around. We need, however, a kindness that's um, flowing from the Spirit and not from occasional moments in our life. As I close, let me tell you of someone I know close to me, a person who is a waterfall of kindness. A neighbor's relative said of her, her kindness is legendary. Can you imagine that? Your kindness is legendary. Wouldn't that be great if people in your street, if people who uh, your family, if people in the church said, you're a legend for kindness. But better still, if we have the approval of our Savior and says, come, blessed, by my Father, enter the kingdom. Be kind to one another. I have a neighbor who from lockdown has been saying to me over and over again, and we're now beginning to talk something more important. Surely the world knows this is a warning, this pandemic. We need to be kinder to each other. Here's a, an evangelist who doesn't know he's saying it. We need to be kind to you. Surely it'll change forever. And I said to him, well, does the leopard change its spots? Give us a little bit of time when everything's back to normal. 
and will revert to type. God forbid the church does that unless we revert to the type of always being kind to the glory of God our Father.